This is Ask the Minimalist number 54. Well, this is for the true fans and the VIPs? Yes, indeed. Oh, man, you guys are awesome. Thanks so much. Amen. So this is the 54th Ask the Minimalist Anything, and you can literally ask us anything. We're going to start with a question from Tom. Hello, Ryan and Josh. My wife and I had the pleasure of attending your New York City show. I did have a question, but I didn't get the chance to ask it. Chapter 7 on relationships in Love People Use Things starts with, quote, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you, end quote. As you note in the book, it is the only chapter that starts with you instead of I. And although you've said this line before in your podcast, I viewed it as a call to action while reading it in setting a good example for my kids. My general question is, how does this apply with my children? My wife and I live in a great community of parents and kids who are involved in school, sports, and activities together. And you can see each other frequently as you raise your kids. So physically, changing the people around us is not always an option, particularly if it is a neighbor, classmate, or a friend of my child's. My specific question is when your child is friends with a child whose parents have values that don't align with yours, at least that is what you've learned over time, how do you guide your child properly, particularly if you see his or her relationship potentially becoming what you describe in Chapter 7 as subtly toxic relationships? For example, thoughtlessness, disingenuous, etc. Thank you. Mm. Tom, it's uh, the, the complication of, of human interactions. You're right. It is the only chapter that begins with the word you. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you, meaning that yes, I can't change them. I can't force someone to have the same values as me, the same beliefs as me, the same preferences as me. But I can surround myself with people who have similar values. Now, it doesn't mean that I shun everyone who doesn't have my same values. That's why in that same chapter, we talk about the three different types of relationships. We talk about reprioritizing the relationship, spending more time with people who are your primary and secondary relationships and less time. So it's not a binary. You have to get rid of these people and then only have these people in your life. No, it's much more about reprioritizing your time so that you have time to spend with the people you care about the most. Because alternatively, unfortunately, what we do is we often spend a lot of time forsaking people closest to us because we're so caught up in spending time with the neighbors, the networking buddies, mm-hmm. the co-workers, the parents of kids we know, etc. Yes, my daughter who's eight can have a relationship with the neighbor's kids. It doesn't mean that I need to spend a ton of time with their parents. Uh, there will be some niceties that are exchanged. Yeah, some and overlap. Yeah, they're in my periphery, and that's okay. I've prioritized them in that way. And then occasionally, if I find that those people have similar values to me and I want to move them closer to secondary or even primary relationships, we have that opportunity to always reassess the relationships we bring into our lives and also the relationships that are currently in our lives. If they are toxic or subtly toxic, then sometimes one way to make it not toxic is to add some distance. If we move them from the secondary to the tertiary ring of the concentric circles, you might find that it removes the toxicity of the relationship. Maybe the poison is in the dosage. Mm. You know, that that line, you can change the people around you, or I'm sorry, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Obviously is saying like, hey, you can't physically change who someone is, but you can change the people that you hang around. And I think there might be a little confusion because 
that line doesn't mean stop hanging out with those people. Yeah. It just means like you, you can't change that person. When it's family, you can't change who they are. Yeah. And you can't just put them out of your life, but you can decide uh, who, who you are going to hang out with outside of that. Like you were saying, making time for people who uh, do have the same values, the same beliefs, whatever it is. But so, yeah, uh, this isn't about how to get rid of your child's friends, parents out of your life. It's about like, A, how can you accept them for who they are, have some niceties with them, and then outside of that, hang out with people who really uh, help you thrive. Um, they don't complete you, though, because we're complete on our own. But, you know, when it comes to your children, I've, I've thought about, I, was, I don't know why, I was just thinking about this the other day, about if I had a kid who had a friend that, um, let's say, that friend was teaching them how to be thoughtless, how to be disingenuous, how to, you know, let's say it was just a bad friend. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like what I as a parent say, you can't hang out with that person anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. Like it's easy for me to give an answer um, not having kids, but until I'm in it, you know, I really don't know. Now, as a thought experiment, I'm like, no, I wouldn't tell, I would never tell my child, again, this is a thought experiment. When I have kids, it might be a completely different story. But I might, you know, uh, I would hope that I could look at my child and say, hey, look, um, your friends are who they are, and I'm not going to tell you who you can and can't hang out with, but I really want you to examine the type of person you are when you hang out with this person, mm. and if you like the type of person that you're becoming, then okay, like then you you do whatever you, you do you, and just because I don't like the person you're becoming, like that doesn't matter as much as you liking the person that you're becoming. And kind of helping him look at it that way. And again, as a thought experiment, that sounds nice and 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 wise and you know enlightened. But in it, I don't know how how I would react. So I'm with you. I'm with you up until a point. And, and so that's where the boundaries come in, mm-hmm. right? And, and so if you have someone who's doing harm to your child, it's your your job as a parent is basically two things: to keep your kids safe mm-hmm. within reason. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean to bubble wrap their world. In fact putting them in a certain amount of uncertainty, danger, etc., mm-hmm. actually helps them be safer in the long run because they're able to deal with uncertain situations. Mm-hmm. However, dumping them into chaos and extreme unsafety is a way to harm your child. And so, yes, there are boundaries that are essential. And the other job is to not screw your kid up. Mm. And we screw our kids up so many ways through the school systems, through our own behaviors, our own habits, our own neuroses, our own way that we navigate the world because our kids pick up on that. Mm. They also pick up on our stress, our anxiety, Mm -hmm. our restlessness. And so whatever you're doing, you're exhibiting that behavior to your kid. It very rarely matters what you say to your kid. You should hang out with this person. You shouldn't hang out with that person. But by showing them how you associate with people with similar values, Mm -hmm. you will find that you're displaying that behavior for your child. I think, uh, was it Becker, Joshua Becker, who said the number one job, oh no, Rob Bell, Mm -hmm. the number one job of a parent is to enjoy your child. Yeah. So uh, it sounds like you are. You're, you're, you're uh, enjoying the the sports that they're playing, and uh, you're trying to be part of their life. But um, but yeah, I mean, Tom, your number one job is to enjoy your kids. Alexandra has a question for us. 
I had to retire at 64 due to health problems. I've moved multiple times trying to stay ahead of rising rent costs. I don't even want to make my new place a nurturing place for me because I worry or think that in a year I'm just going to have to move again. I'm hoping in a couple of years to try and go back to working part-time, but I'm becoming depressed, true depression, thinking about moving again. I'm totally alone. It's just me and my amazing greyhound. Moving so much, there's not enough time to build any friendship. On top of all that, I have tore up my spinal column and have to get injections to not be in excruciating pain. Do you have any advice? Also, do you have any cheese I can have with this wine? <laughs> yes, Whole Foods carries a rum runner. That's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it's great that... Alexandra, you are able to approach us with a sense of humor, and mm -hmm. I applaud you for that. And I want to say that I see you, and I understand what you're going through. I've mm -hmm. gone through, I wrote about depression and love people use things, and, and some of the lowest points of my life I, I wrote about in that book. And so I know where you're coming from, even if I don't know the exact situation. I also know that I often told myself some disempowering stories that made the depression or the situation worse. One of those disempowering stories might be that, um, you know, I'm only going to be here for a year, so I might as well not try to, mm. what was the, the frame that she, I don't want to make it a nurturing place because I'm just going to move again in a year, right? Mm. Well, on a long enough timeline, that's always true. Even if you found your forever home, well, I don't want to make it a nurturing place because eventually I'm going to die. Mm. We tell ourselves these disempowering stories. And yet, some of the most alive people I know live in places for a short period of time. Our friend Colin Wright, who moved to a new country every four months, and he would hunker down and learn that country, the customs, the culture, the language, the neighborhood, the businesses, the people. And he'd spend four months there and he'd make some of the most meaningful relationships he's ever made. And he wouldn't necessarily keep in contact with them after those four months because it wasn't about, I need to build a long-term network of people that are going to nurture me in perpetuity. No, it was about right now. I'm going to experience this culture and these people right here, right now. And if they remain part of my life for the foreseeable future, great. But if not, that's okay too, because I had an experience with them right now. You can make an amazing friend for one night and you may not ever see that person again. And that's okay. If you have a willingness to let go of the expectation of needing to have that person clinging to that person. And so that clinging will actually lead to more misery for you, Alexandra. Mm. What will open up is an abundance mindset. I already have enough. I know that I'm suffering. I know that I'm depressed, right? But I also know that I, I want a connection, a real connection with people. That doesn't require a long-term commitment. It requires being with someone right here, right now. Mm. Man, Alexandra, it sounds like you're going through a lot of uh, physical pain and maybe a little bit of uh, mental as well. And I just want to, I don't know, just tell you, like, I'm so sorry you're in that situation. But I'll just kind of punctuate what Josh was saying. I would be careful with, it's not like I'm giving advice here. I don't want to give advice. But if I was in your shoes, I would try my hardest to tell myself more empowering stories. And just going back to what Josh said, um, Yes, 
Uh, maybe you got to move in a year, but that's maybe you can get to know your neighbor. Maybe you can find a, a little bit more of a long-term community. I, I know you can go to meetup.com. There's different like Zoom communities that you can be part of. Um, there are there are solutions to this um, that it might take a little bit of work to get there, but uh, but yeah, I I I would encourage you to, to to do that work, to do that hard work. If you if you want to get out of that depression, one way that you could potentially do it is don't think about what you can get from these relationships. Think about what you can give to them. How can you show up? and be loving without needing to be loved because love will be a byproduct of that. But if you show up and you're loving repeatedly, that says a whole lot about you and you'll experience that love as well. We have a question here from Ginger. Josh, how do you manage being a parent and being an introvert? I imagine not being with Ella full-time helps, but if she were with you full-time, what would you do differently? Have you had any issues with your wife regarding this topic? Does she handle most of the parenting duties to give you the alone time you need? And if so, has it ever brought any resentment on her part? Would any of this be different if it was your own kid? Well, she is my own kid. Do you mean biological kid? No, I don't think it would be any different if she was my biological kid. But I'm responsible for her. I take care of her. And unfortunately, we often mistake the time spent with someone with taking care of them or with quality time, right? And so there are a bunch of questions here, but there are a whole bunch of assumptions uh, underlying these questions. Hmm. And they're societal assumptions. Our society has supposed that, presupposed that in order to parent, you must be one particular way, which is absurd because in our society, that's the way to do it. In Mm -hmm. fact, when uh, someone, you know, if I ask this first question here, Josh, how do you manage being a parent and being an introvert in our society? If you, if you keep adding that, you realize that, oh, this is just a concoction. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. This mm. is the way that the norms we've established that we've held on to. And some of those things might be helpful, but some of them also might be harmful. Yeah. And so the second part of the question, I imagine not being with Ella full-time helps, but if she were with you full-time, what would you do differently? I would not be with her full time. I would mm. find a way that I wouldn't have to be a full time parent personally. Right, right? Yeah. now that might mean radically changing my life. Let's say I was a single father. The mother was no longer in the picture. Well, what do you do then? Mm. Do you just give her up for adoption? No, of course not. What you do is you find a community. This is how we used to raise people once Mm -hmm. upon a time. Human beings were raised within a community. The mothers tended to be really, really young, like teenage young. And they weren't the ones who were the the wise, older women within the culture or the society that raised the child by themselves. No, what we've done is we've isolated ourselves. We've siloed ourselves. And now the mom is supposed to be the teacher, the caregiver, the discipliner, um, the friend, Mm, right? mm -hmm. All of these different community roles. Of course, after age around seven or eight, what we find is that parents have their influence on a child, and all the literature shows this, their influence dramatically drops off and their peers' influence into the teen years, etc., increases each year. And so as a parent, I have less and less influence on her life every year. And that's fine 
it's only a problem if I feel like I need to have more influence. I need her to behave just like me. Mm. I want to change the people around me, meaning change my daughter as well. I need you to play basketball. I need you to be a soccer player. I need you to be a valedictorian. Those are my own expectations. Mm. What were some of these other questions here, Ryan? Uh, have you had any issues with your wife regarding this topic? No. No, I haven't. And they, they asked about resentment too, right? Mm, uh, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, and so... Uh, does she handle most of the pairing duties and has that ever brought any resentment on her part? I would say no, not at all, because I contribute in multiple ways. And not only do I contribute financially, but when I'm there, I'm actually there as opposed to being, well, being there with respect to my time, but not being there with respect to my attention. Because mm. it's possible to be with someone. I could be sitting next to you all day, Ryan, but just on my phone scrolling. So I give you my time, but I'm not giving you my attention. I give my daughter my attention. I give my wife my attention, which is so much more precious mm. than excess time together. But mm. I will say this. Let's say there was resentment on Bex's part. There never has been. She and I have actually talked about it. And we talk about this a lot on her podcast, How to Love which you can check out for free at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. But we talk a lot about parenting and unconventional parenting strategies. And Ryan, what I've found is that if there was resentment, we would talk about it. But Bex is mature enough to realize that if she has some sort of resentment, then it is within her. We did a whole resentment episode, in fact. Episode 19 of How to Love was called the resentment episode. And I was talking about a lot of resentment that I was feeling toward her with respect to some stuff that was going on in our life. And that resentment, what I had to recognize, and I recognized in the episode was, hey, this is actually me. This resentment that I feel, Bex, I feel like you're the source of it, but when I get down behind the, the source, I'm the source. Because mm -hmm. without me, this resentment would not exist. Mm. It wasn't actually on her. And so, yes, if resentment builds in a relationship, it's because it has something to do with my expectations. Now, I can change the relationship. You can leave the person. You can set up new boundaries, etc. But that resentment is my own. And if Bex had her own resentment, then I could help her through that if she wanted help. But I can't drag her to my point of view. Mm. Kathy has a question for us. What are the two most embarrassing moments you have experienced together in public and behind the cameras and microphones? <laughs> so does she want two experiences in the public, two experiences behind the cameras? Just give me an two experience together. Oh, the most embarrassed I've ever been is just that the very first um, talk I gave, uh, November 2013, we did a media event. And I was giving the talk, um, very similar to the talk we did um, in our latest documentary. And it was a big deal. Like, you know, our publicist was like, oh, man, the Daily Show is going to be there. And people from, you know, all these different news outlets, New York, New York Times. I mean, it was a lot of pressure. And I completely effed it up, man. It was bad. <laughs> and, you know, it, I could just see people, the people in the crowd, like, they were forgiving me because they felt sorry for me. <laughs> but uh, I just remember I got to a point in the talk where I just I for totally blanked on where I was going with it. And when I picked back up, it was like, you know, two pages ahead of where I was. But I remember when I blanked, I looked at Josh and he just looked at me and he's like, you're on your own, buddy. Like, I, I can't do anything for you right now. Uh, that was pretty embarrassing. But 
I've got over it and it's made me stronger. It's funny because like I practiced that talk a million times. I literally right before that show, Matt recorded it uh-huh. outside the venue. I remember. And then, yeah, it was just, it was all that pressure. Like it just built up on me and it was, it was it's embarrassing when you, when you screw up that royally uh, during a, a public speaking event. It was a big event, New York City and I think it was in Soho and none right of the news outlets None of the news outlets picked us up, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> it was a launch party for our book, too. It was two months before it came out. Love people, or uh, not oh, love people, it was everything that remains. That's the problem. I thought it was a lunch party. <laughs> that's why you're eating a sandwich on stage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's the thing about embarrassment embarrassment is a product of other people's shame, mm. the shame they thrust upon us. And so. We only feel ashamed because we didn't meet an expectation that we had because we thought other people also had that expectation. Mm-hmm. So you created an expectation. You had to do perfect at this event. And mm-hmm. of course, we want to put our best foot forward. But the expectation of being flawless will obviously create some sort of embarrassment. Now, let's say I don't know what you could do. I'm sure there's something you could do to embarrass me. But like, there's some things I would prefer remain private. Mm-hmm. Like, don't go through my camera roll right now on my phone. But also, if one of those pictures leaked, I'm not really going to be embarrassed by it because yeah. it's like, well, yeah. I would just be sorry for the people who saw those pics on my phone. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry you had to see that. <laughs> I'm embarrassed for you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's a, who was that? Was it Zach Galifianakis? It was like, uh, there's a skit I saw, like, Robbie Mar- Margo. Yeah. Uh, she, um, Margot Robbie. Yeah. She was like going through his phone with him. He's like, here's a picture of my wife and this one's my dick. <laughs> Oops. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. I've handed my like trying to social him a picture. Like I'll hand him the phone uh-huh. and I'm like, here, check this out. If you keep scrolling, it's at your own risk. Just so you know, <laughs> <laughs> why do people do that? In what freaking world do you, so you hand someone their phone and they're just going to keep scrolling to look at your pictures? That is like, that seems like a really, um, I don't know, unethical, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. very, un, uh, very unpolite thing to do. So you've never been embarrassed? I can't. No, I'm certain I've been embarrassed, but I can't think of uh, an example off the top of my head. I could tell you that I'm often more frustrated, but that is the same thing. Mm. It's a oh it's, yeah, it's uh, an expectation that things didn't go my way. Yeah, and so I've learned a lot about myself through my own frustration. Yeah, Felix has a question for us. I have a parent living with me, and they are a hoarder. Mm. I have set clear boundaries of what space they are allowed to have, but keep crossing the line. How do you help them understand the rules of your house? Man. It's so hard when you have a parent. It's so hard, it's so hard when you have to parent a parent. Like mm-hmm. that's one of the most difficult things, which um, I've had to do a lot. Um, again, not being in the situation, so easy to say what I would do. But what I hear is that you've set boundaries, but there aren't any consequences when they cross that boundaries. Yes, those boundaries, and it that, and and I say consequences not in a um disciplinary action is it's it's a, it's it's a very benign word the the uh benign context that I'm trying to have with it a consequence is simply something that happens when a boundary is crossed mm-hmm. it doesn't mean good or bad uh the way I'm trying to say it so that's what I would that's personally what I would do I would have a consequence like hey if this boundary is crossed I just want to let you know that this is what's going to happen I mean I do not recommend this boundary at all but I remember it was a friend 
they were telling me how their parents had this uh, consequence of like, hey, if you don't put your toys away, if you don't put your clothes away, I'm, I'm donating it. I'm going to put them all in a box and whatever's left out, I'm putting in the box and I'm donating. And uh, they actually did that a couple times. Hmm. I don't recommend that. Like that's not the consequence. But but it's they were telling me how they, you know, at the time they hated it, but they were like, wow, it really did. <laughs> that consequence really helped me take some action. And uh, again, don't do that because that's theft at that point with your parents' stuff. But I think it's a great point. The The lack of consequence... There's also potentially a lack of understanding. The boundaries might be nebulous and they don't really understand where the boundaries are. Mm. It's like if you give a dog a shock collar, I don't recommend that for a dog or for a human, (laughs) but they are not going to know where the boundaries are. They eventually find those boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Now, they often find it through consequence. The the shock is the consequence there. Mm -hmm. And so not to shock your parents, but if you clearly lay out the boundary. You clearly lay out the consequence, and then they still go over the boundary, then that consequence might eventually escalate to, hey, you're welcome to live here, but if you cross these boundaries again, you're no longer welcome here. I mm. still love you, but I'm going to have to love you from a distance. Mm. Brian has a question for us. Everyone on the podcast crew seems to have a nickname, Podcast Sean, Emma the Immigrant, etc. Do Ryan and Josh have nicknames? If so, what are they? They just call me Cool Ryan. <laughs> I can't repeat <laughs> what those nicknames are. <laughs> we do that for the for the crew be, to make them more memorable. So mm-hmm. like Jordan No More, he actually he he came prepackaged with that nickname. Mm-hmm. And Podcast Sean, that one was organic. Someone had called him Podcast Sean early on, like back in 2015. It was or so. early on, yeah. right? I mean, maybe the first year of the podcast. Yeah. Well, we have so many different Sean's in our life. Uh-huh. That like they were being specific with like, hey, I have a question for podcast Sean, the one that's on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. as opposed to other, we call it, uh, Sean Mahalik, other Sean. Right. Yeah. He helps me with the, the how to write better writing class. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we just call him other Sean, <laughs> even though he worked with us at the minimalist before podcast Sean did. Right, yeah. Although we knew podcast Sean much longer. Yeah. Malabama, we just sort of made up on the spot because it was perfect. She's from Alabama originally mm-hmm. and her name's Mallory. So Malabama. Uh, Danny Unknown came prepackaged with his nickname as well. Emma the Immigrant, we tried to get her to migrate here, so it just worked out. It was much more memorable than Emma Krebs. <laughs> and so those names are generally there just to add some color and some liveliness to the podcast. Mm. People often call me JFM. That's the closest thing I have to a nickname. Yeah. High school, they call Ryan Sticky Penis. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny. Oh, well, now you have to explain that. <laughs> you know, it's funny, if not right? here, you have to so tell that, me later. No, I, it's just Nicodemus. Nicodemus, Sticky Pants. I, I got that. <laughs> I got that name like the first day of, of my freshman year of high school. So like the gym teachers uh, calling roll call and Aaron Brock. I don't care. You look him up and you give him a hard time. His name is Aaron Brock. Um, which he was actually really cool, and him and I were friends. Um, he was just, he was joking around, but the 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 gym teacher was like Ryan Nicodemus, and he was like Sticky Penis, <laughs> and it just like stuck from there. And it's funny because like it's at forty, stuck. <laughs> and then at forty years old, I'm like I should have been like only when I'm having sex with your mother. <laughs> I would kill. If I if I had access to a time machine, a one-time use, 
you're, you're gonna. That's how you use it. That's how I'd use it's, it. It's a George George Costanza jerk store thing, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. George Costanza. I was jerk store. I was hard on all through seventh grade. <laughs> Sean, hard on Sean hard on yeah. oh, why did I not no think it that? wasn't even it wasn't even Sean hard on <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even Sean hard on it was just oh my god hard on that's great man all seventh I was grade. gonna say man the entire seventh grade that must have did you see a doctor about that <laughs> <laughs> well to be clear it is just because my last name is Harding. is Harding yeah oh my god um podcast hard on yeah <laughs> the funny thing don't, about the don't start things, don't start the, the funny thing about that story is like it's totally not true it's smooth and not sticky at all we have a question hey, from thanks. kathy thanks josh oh josh's kathy nickname in uh, high school was mashburn after the basketball player oh yeah jamal mashburn yeah well lucky you <laughs> here's kathy's question what is each member of the minimalist team's favorite board or card game rapid fire ready go go for it ladies and gentlemen you go first None. I don't play games. Lame. Next. <laughs> Sean, you into any games, card or otherwise? Oh, God. Things I can actually mention that my wife don't do. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sexual dice doesn't count, Sean. Does it, does Hide it. and go get it doesn't count either. <laughs> uh, you know, there was this game that... Uh, um, but dying, dying. I told you, pecker poker doesn't oh, count. Man. This is the rapid fire section. Yeah, Go. there's there's a really bizarre game, but it is fun that my wife and uh, kids play called Quelf. 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 It's it's bizarre, but oh, it I gotta is check actually, it up. Oh, all right. It's a lot of fun. Alabama, how about you? Uh, I played a lot of Mexican train dominoes growing up with my family, and Ooh. it has a whole special place in my heart. But I also have a guilty pleasure of the game Pandemic as a board game. Oh man, that's so hard with two people. Mariah, right. I have that. It's stupid hard with two people. Yeah, Danny, unknown Martinez, what do you got for us? Blackjack. Blackjack. <laughs> okay. Because he's okay. a gambler man. <laughs> Ryan likes all the games. I do like all the games, yes. and I can't pick a favorite because what my favorite is today I prompt because of me being a glutton for fun and excitement I will wear that game out and it'll be a, a new game uh, right now I would say the most fun that Mariah and I have is when we're at her parents place and we'll play rummy cube that's a lot of fun um, I have not laughed so hard as when we were it was like Christmas and uh, yeah we were playing rummy cube and like uh, just for different reasons like it but it was great um, and there's also mahjong that her family plays but I'm horrible at it and there's so many different rules to Mahjong. Like, it's insane. It's insane. How Like, do you have to have a book to, for scoring? So um, I always get frustrated because we don't play by the rules. And I'm like a total rules guy. Well, we're all playing by the same rules, so it's not that big of a deal. But I'm a rules guy. And if, like, we're leaving out something, I get really, they don't just, like, I don't, not OCD, but it kind of bothers my OCD a little bit. But, yeah, Rummy Cube. That's what I'm going to go with right now. Yeah. I enjoy ping pong, but it's not a board game, obviously. <laughs> Uh, and with my daughter, Operation. Yeah, is, dude. She's is so much fun. fun to play Operation with. Not the board game, but we actually operate on her. I've removed her appendix. <laughs> Don't worry. I followed a video on YouTube. It was fun. Right. He put him back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't her appendix, though. Oh, is that a Lego in there? Oops. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't really play games, though. Yeah, Josh doesn't play games. <laughs> Patrons, <laughs> we love you. Yes, thank you. We appreciate you. This has been another episode of Ask the Minimalists Anything. We'll see you soon. This is Sticky Penis signing out. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. 
Every little thing you think that you need, every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.